We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Thursday afternoon edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen joined this week by James Anderson. Uh, James, you you actually approached me earlier this week with an idea uh, for this week's pod. It's a great one, no surprise. Uh, as we kind of close the book on the 2020-21 fantasy season, playoffs are underway uh, in most standard leagues this week. So uh, a lot of the the grunt work of the the regular season is pretty much over, and it, it's kind of time to look back and at the same time look ahead to the 2021-22 fantasy season, which of course we'll begin prepping for uh, within the next few weeks here as the regular season ends. As part of that, uh, you had the idea to highlight some under-the-radar players for next season. And we're not talking, you know, guys who went from sixth-round pick to a third-round pick. We're talking like way, way under the radar. Guys who were not really on anyone's radars this year, unless you're in a super deep league, who have established themselves either enough to you know, for sure be picked in the maybe eight to 12 round range next year or guys to consider throwing a flyer at or throwing a dart at with your last picks, um, you know, come next fall. So obviously a lot can change between now and then, but I'll, I'll kick it to you and kind of let you lay out what parameters you used to select the guys on your list. Sure. Yeah. I, I think this is the time of year where you, like if you play in any sort of keeper leagues, like our, our staff keeper league uh, or dynasty leagues, um, where you can scoop guys up maybe off the waiver wire uh, who 
are kind of under the radar right now, but after everyone's had time to do their off-season prep and everything for next season, they'll be guys who will obviously be kind of going towards the end of drafts and stuff like that. So if you can scoop them up now, uh, that can be beneficial. And it's also just kind of a chance to sort of get eyes on guys like this um, before the season ends so that you can kind of evaluate them yourself and just sort of see if they're players that you might be interested in uh, drafting, especially in drafts that might be happening kind of earlier in, in draft season. Uh, so I, before we started recording, I, I just kind of was talking to you, like, where should we kind of make this cutoff line? And like, I threw out the name Robert Williams. Uh, you and I sort of both agreed that that's kind of too obvious of a name. Um, that was a guy that everyone was kind of drafting towards the end of drafts already this, this current season. So uh, we're not going that obvious. We're going after guys who, for the most part, in a league where maybe 150 players were getting drafted, these guys were all going uh, mostly undrafted. So uh, mm-hmm. some of them will be rookies. Some of them will be guys that maybe you'd never even heard of before the season started. But um, it's still it's a, it's a pretty fun group of guys. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty much the exact parameters I used. You know, we threw out a couple names who were a little bit borderline. Um, and like you said, I, I think Robert Williams is kind of the cutoff where if we had done this exercise this time last year, I think he would be a prime candidate to to be discussed because at that point, you know, he had played uh, a few games and, and shown some like crazy per minute flashes. And, and obviously that's now come to fruition over the second half of this season. So basically our goal is just to, to identify the next Robert Williams. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, Maybe we will. Maybe there, there are a couple of guys that maybe fit that mold. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll let, I'll let you kick it off. Um, you know, I, I put together a list of like 10 or 12 guys. We won't hit on all of them. Um, but, you know, I have a few at the top that I definitely want to get to. But I'll, I'll let you begin. All right. So this is probably the most obvious guy uh, in my group. Um, it's going to be Jalen Brunson of the Mavs, who... Uh, I think was recently reported to be untouchable at this year's uh, trade deadline. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, whenever you get the untouchable tag, you're, especially if you're a Dallas Maverick, you're, you're obviously destined for greatness. So uh, honestly, is that a good thing at this point? Like any, any non all-star who's been deemed untouchable has usually turned out to not be untouchable whatsoever a year later. Right. Well, the thing about Brunson is he's actually performed in games, right. unlike Rudy Boubois. Uh, so Brunson, I mean, his, for me, kind of where it starts with him is just his efficiency is just off the charts. Uh, free throw percentage is under 80% right now, but I think I think he's closer to like an 80% yeah. free throw shooter than a 78% free throw shooter if we're just kind of looking ahead. And he, you know, for a guard, a point guard, uh, essentially, to be shooting 53% from the field is very, very impressive. I mean, that's just, that's hard to find. And he's shooting close to 40% from three. Uh, The volume isn't, isn't off the charts or anything, but I think that's something that he could maybe dial up a little bit, especially now that he's sort of established himself as this guy that that could hit threes at a good clip. And, you know, I look at this Mavericks roster, uh, Josh Richardson might not be there next year. And obviously the Mavs have a ton of cap space, but, you know, who knows exactly which type of player they're going to target with that cap space. If, if for whatever reason we go into the season and 
it's looking like Brunson is is clearly uh, the number two ball handler behind Luka Doncic, then I think he's going to be relevant in all formats. And even if he ends up going into the year as the number three ball handler, I still think the efficiency that he provides is going to make him valuable. And then he's one injury away from being uh, a starter, essentially, from a minute standpoint. So I think this is maybe the last year where his minutes per game is going to be below 30. And I think that, you know, next year he could be kind of on the most improved player list. Yeah, I think that's all spot on. I think he, I mean, he's already basically stolen all of Trey Burke's minutes this year. And I mean, Burke played fairly well toward the end of last season and looked like he might be like a 15 to 20 minute guy. And, and Brunson has outplayed him virtually from the start. If you look at just his, he has 26 games this year when he's played at least 27 minutes. And in those in those games, he's averaging 17.2 points, 4.1 rebounds, 3.7 assists, little over half a steal, um, barely turning it over at all, and shooting 57% from the field and 42% from three. So, I mean, the one thing that he's missing, like, typically like small, undersized, gritty guards like that will at least rack up steals. He doesn't do that at all. That's a pretty big drawback. But like you said, getting 50 plus percent shooting from a 5'11 backup point guard is really, really rare. Yeah, and I mean, it, I'm not saying he's going to be a 53% uh, field goal shooter uh, next year. Obviously, I think that probably regresses a little bit. But um, and you're you're totally right. Like the his archetype of player, you're usually getting way more threes, way more steals. So he is kind of a unique guy to try to build around. But you know, there there are guys that are sort of the opposite of this where you're definitely getting the steals or you're definitely getting the threes, but they might shoot like 40% from the field. So if you pair Brunson with one of those guys, like mm-hmm. if you pair Brunson with like Marcus smart or something like that, um, then I think you, you end up kind of getting what you're, what you're looking for. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like category scarcity in some ways, you know, where it's like, you know, it's like getting a bunch of assists out of a center. You know, you're, you're typically not going to be boosting your field goal percentage by picking up a backup point guard. Exactly. All right. I'm going to go to a completely different type of player. And that is, I, I assume somebody who's on your list. And even just over the last two weeks, he's really you know made a name for himself. Isaiah Stewart in Detroit uh, had three double doubles in a row uh, last week uh, from, I think from like Friday through Monday, went for 15 and 21, 19 and 12, 18 and 16, had three steals and three blocks in that final game uh, against Cleveland. Pretty much any time that Mason Plumley has been resting, which, by the way, he will be doing tonight. Uh, it, Isaiah Stewart's been a double-double threat, you know, whenever he plays more than like 25 minutes. So, you know, there's there's definitely some bad team, you know, would this guy be getting minutes on, in another situation potential here? But I, I think he's looked really, really good, really versatile. Um, you know, not, not quite as like, doesn't have like that crazy athleticism like a Robert Williams, but to me, he kind of feels like, maybe this season's version of a guy like that, who if he starts playing 25 to 28 minutes consistently could all of a sudden very easily be a top 100 guy just because he racks up so many rebounds and blocks. Yeah. Uh, he was definitely on my list and I'm glad that you hit him. Um, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said. I think that he, the, the one question is just, is he going to be a 25 minute a game guy or a 28 to 30 minute a game guy? And that probably depends a lot on Mason Plumlee's availability next year. But I think even if you're just getting 25 minutes from him, he's proven that 
he will at least be uh, startable in two center leagues and, you know, deeper leagues where like any league where Robert Williams was drafted or Ivica Zubac was drafted this year, Isaiah Stewart yeah. should be drafted next year. And I mean, the, the, the the stats i mean it's just it's across the board production i mean it's it's really hard to find yeah and if if for whatever reason plumley were to get hurt and he were to find his way into 30 minutes a game for a month or two i mean he could be a, a top 10 fantasy center and he's just a ton of fun to watch which which yeah you know, just makes it more appealing yeah i mean he's he's 12 of 28 from three on the year which is something to monitor i mean we've seen a fair amount of centers you know, come in and, and experiment with shooting threes, especially in a situation like Detroit where there's no pressure at all. And then sometimes it'll fade away. You know, some guys continue to get better. So that, that's going to be one thing for me to monitor. You know, he's at basically 0.2 made threes per game. And a lot of that is, you know, he's, he's had a lot of low minute games, especially early on. But it, I mean, if he can be around, you know, adding like one made three per game while averaging like one and a half to two blocks and maybe close to a steal. Uh, like you said, it's not crazy that he could be a top 10 fantasy setter next year if the minutes are there. Yeah, exactly. All right, back to your list. All right. Uh, we don't have to spend a ton of time on this guy. I mean, he gets a ton of publicity based on the team he plays for and everything, but um, certainly wasn't drafted in – I mean, he wasn't even drafted, I don't think, in our super deep staff league reserve round where you get to take almost all the rookies uh, from that draft class, and that's Emmanuel Quickly. And – I mostly just wanted to highlight him because I don't know if people like realize just how much turnover there might be on this roster and how much playing time could open up for him next year. Uh, I believe Alfred Payton, Derek Rose and Frank Nielakina are all free agents to be. And, and I think Alec Burks is as well. So I think you're, yeah. I mean, obviously they're going to bring back maybe one of those guys and they might bring in, they might try to go get like Alonzo ball or something like that. But if if he can just get to 30 minutes a game, which, I mean, it would be kind of criminal for Thibodeau to not give him around 30 minutes a game next year, given that he's one of the top two or three young building blocks they have on this roster. If he just gets to 30 minutes a game, he's going to be uh, an absolute stud. I mean, the one drawback is the, the field goal percentage. But I like with most rookie guards, this is going to be the worst year of his career in that category. I would expect him to get up into at least the low forties next year. And he, he's shooting 89% from the line. So, I mean, I I'll roster a guy that's shooting 40% from the field. If he's shooting close to 90% from the line any day. And the, the three point volume is definitely going to be there. I mean, quickly would be a, a great guy to pair with Jalen Brunson um, because right. you're getting a lot of that stuff. Um, so I just wanted to touch on him because I, I don't know if people realize just how much playing time might be there for him next year. Yeah. The way the, the Knicks contracts are stacked that even the guys they signed to two-year deals, I think pretty much everybody has a team option, right? That's what they've been doing the last two summers. So I, I think quickly is very, very firmly a part of the core going forward. I mean, the question is like, if, if they do get aggressive and they move things around and you, you know, you bring in, you know, a, a little bit more just like overall talent. I could kind of see the same thing happening this year or happening next year. That's happened this year where, you know, he, it's basically whenever the minutes are there, he seems like he plays well, but for whatever reason, he'll have three, four, five game stretches where he's averaging like 15 minutes a game out of nowhere. Well, and I think, I think what the front office should do and probably will do 
is just not give Thibodeau enough guys to to block him. Like, you know, you yeah. you obviously the the whole key here with the Knicks is to try to sort of build um, a really up and coming core that looks appealing to outside free agents. And you know, I think he's one of the guys that has a ton of upside long term. So. You just can't give Thibodeau too many veteran guys who are defensive <laughs> stalwarts that he's going to be tempted to play over him. So yeah. you could bring in one guy and you, maybe you bring, you re-sign Derrick Rose, you bring in like yeah. Lonzo Ball or whoever. I mean, that's fine. Like we know Derrick, Derrick Rose would come off the bench still and stuff. But I think the key for the front office is just to kind of give Thibodeau no choice mm-hmm. but to play him 30 minutes a game. I'm going to go with another rookie guard. And this is a guy that I, I really liked in the draft. I, I love the landing spot um, in, in terms of development. I, I did not see this team season going the way that it has. And it just kind of continues to get more and more bizarre by the game. Uh, but Malachi Flynn from the Toronto Raptors, who has looked very good, uh, finally getting some opportunity with with Lowry resting all the time and Van Vliet missing a bunch of time. Um, he had a, you know nine games when he's played at least 30 minutes this year, uh, he's averaged 15 points, five rebounds, six assists, two steals, 43% from three. Uh, not a great field goal percentage. He's hovering around 40, 41 uh, during that period, but 85% at the line. Older player, you know, played multiple years in college at San Diego State. So, you know, in theory, not a, not a huge surprise that he's looking a little more ready uh, than a lot of players in this class. The big thing is just what does the Raptors roster look like going forward? You know, if you lose Kyle Lowry, in theory, you know, the combination of Flynn and Gary Trent, you know, maybe plug that in. It, it depends. Do you go out and, and get a replacement? Do do they kind of do a little bit of a mini rebuild on the fly? And, and in that case, maybe he's seeing more minutes next year. I, I really like him as a player, but, you know, obviously you're not doing a draft for next year right now. My hope is that by, you know, August, September of next year, we at least have a little more clarity and what direction the Raptors are going in the short term. Yeah, that's a really good one. Uh, I hadn't actually thought of Flynn, but um yeah, I mean, I think you, you nailed it. Like, the key is just kind of what do they do with Lowry? Um, it does sort of seem like they're going to bring him back just based on the fact that they didn't do anything at the deadline. But I think there's also just a chance that Masai uh, wanted to kind of set a precedent that he will not take low ball offers at the deadline for future seasons. And that that's a possibility and I could, I could totally see them going with kind of a mini rebuild here. Um, and yeah, I think, I think you're spot on if, if they do kind of go that route and it looks like Flynn is going to be at least the third guard next year, if not uh, one of their top two guards, I think he will be a, a huge value in drafts just because I think he's, you know, you, you really have to be paying attention to catch what he's been doing lately. Yeah. I, I think there's a pretty high floor here, which is not, something you can normally say about second year guys. So as long as the minutes are there, I, I like him quite a bit. Okay. Back to you. All right. This is probably the guy that sort of spurred uh, my whole idea for this, this exercise uh, going with another rookie and probably the only good pick that Gerson Rosas has made in the draft um, since he took over that job and that is uh, Jaden McDaniels, I mean, not drafted by Rosas, but uh, dealt to the T-Wolves. And um, McDaniels is clearly, to me, the Timberwolves' power forward of the future. 
and they don't have any cap flexibility. So like, I, I don't see them, uh, bringing in a guy that's that's better than him or, or going and getting like a veteran to block him. And I just think he's such a perfect fit next to Carl Anthony Towns because both those guys can shoot it really well. Uh, McDaniels has really surprised me by shooting 37% from three as a rookie. And I think the key here is like people will just, if you just go to his like basketball reference page and you just look at his free throw percentage, 59%, obviously that looks terrible. Uh, only on 1.1 attempts per game. Yeah. But if you go and look at since he started or since he entered that starting lineup on March 19th, he's shooting 85% from the free throw line. So mm-hmm. um, really has, has kind of turned that aspect of his game around. Uh, the big selling point is the, the potential for blocks, steals, threes. Like you're getting all of those sort of uh, little stats. Um, you're not going to get a ton of points per game. Um, for power forward, you might not even be getting a ton of rebounds per game, but I think he's a guy who's just not going to kill you anywhere, and you're just going to get probably three blocks plus steals if he if he's able to get starters minutes. And uh, I think there's a chance that he even keeps getting better because he he's sort of he's raw, but he's not raw in a like he he has really good feel for the game. Like he he yeah. makes a lot of instinctual plays out there, um, but he's still kind of learning the NBA game as a whole. And so I just, I think that he's, he could totally uh, take a leap next year or the year after. And so, especially in like keeper leagues, I could see him being one of these guys that is like a top 50 pick in like three years, just because he's giving you those stats that are so hard to find. Yeah. He at his best looks like a star and I I don't think he's going to develop into a star. That would, that would surprise me, but like he does things that, you're like, wow, where was this guy drafted? Like he, he has like really impressive skills and some nights those just don't show through at all. I mean, if you look at his box score, even since he's been starting or his game log, you know, he'll have a really nice game. Then he'll follow it up with just a disastrous shooting game. And then he'll, you know, go for 18 points and a couple blocks and five rebounds and hit four threes. And then he'll follow it up with seven points and five fouls in 21 minutes, uh, which, which happened right around the end of March. That's just kind of how it goes with a rookie, especially on a bad team. But I think this is a great call. I, I think his his floor is still, you know, lower than some of the guys we've talked about already, but his ceiling might be the highest out of all these guys. I guess the question is ultimately, you know, he's probably the fourth option offensively, right? I mean, with with Towns, oh, yeah. with Russell, with Anthony Edwards on track to be the highest usage player of all time. Um, there's I, there's kind of some limitations there and like I, I think he's like his skill set wise, long term, he might like be overqualified to be a role player, if that makes sense. You know, right now he's probably underqualified, but the way that he plays, like I'd almost like to see the ball in his hands more. And when the Wolves are healthy, I, I just don't know how often that's going to happen, at least next season. Right. I mean, you're not drafting him next year expecting more than like 12 points per game, really. Um, but another kind of key aspect of this, too, is like, how many practices has he even had with Chris Finch? You know, like he was, he was probably getting coached by the worst coach in the league um, for what little uh, preseason there was. And you give a full off season's worth of, of work with uh, that new coaching staff and, and everything. Like, I mean, there's just, there's a ton to work with here. Like, I mean, you, you get a player development staff with a guy like Jade McDaniels 
Yeah. I mean, you, you could just really see him improve a ton. And uh, he's one of those guys where you don't have to run any plays for him because he is such a good three point shooter. And because he is such a good athlete that, you know, he can just sort of space, but then he can crash and he can get offensive boards and he can cut and get, get alley-oops and stuff like that. So um, it's just going to be really exciting to sort of see how his career develops. Yeah. And one last point on the free throw percentage. You're spot on. He, he shot 40% over the Timberwolves first 30 games, barely took any. And his. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Last 30 games, he's shooting 70%. So uh, I think a lot of that is like some of those attempts were probably coming just in like random garbage time minutes where he sat for 40 minutes and then had to get up and, and take a free throw. You know, like I, I, I wouldn't really factor that in at all. It's, it's probably going to be ugly at the end of the year. It's going to sit around 60%. But I think just looking at that sample where he's like actually in the rotation, he's probably closer to 70, 75%. Right. All right. Before we get to the next guy on my list, let's take a quick break. All right, I'm going to go with another big man, James. And I, I, don't, I don't love that I'm bringing this guy up so enthusiastically. Uh, it, it's a small sample size for sure. Um, but this is a guy that like per minute has always put up really impressive numbers. The minutes have just never been there, whether it's in Chicago or now in Washington. I'm going to go to Daniel Gafford, third string wow. center for the Washington Wizards. We're digging deep. Wow, I love it. Let's hear it. Well, I'm looking at his per 36. And he's at 25 points, 12 and a half rebounds, and 4.2 blocks since coming to Washington. He's appeared in nine games. He's played 161 minutes. That is a ridiculously small sample. Uh, but if you look at just the last four games alone, he's racked up 12 blocks. He just went for 19, 10, and 3 against Golden State last night. He had an 18, 7, 4 game against New Orleans over the weekend. He went for 8, 8, and 4 against Detroit. Um, obviously he's not going to play 36 minutes next season. So those numbers don't really mean all that much, but he's always been a really, really good per minute rebounder and per minute shot blocker. And, you know, Chicago obviously wasn't the place for him. He was kind of just a throw in, um, you know, at the deadline to Washington, I, I think as part of that Troy Brown deal. Um, but the wizards are one of those teams that we have like no idea what the roster is going to look like next year. They don't really have an actual starting center right now with Thomas Bryant hurt. Uh, obviously he'll be back next year, but somewhat of an injury prone player. Rui Hachimura has been in and out. Um, if he stays in Washington, I honestly, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I would just like him to go somewhere and be the backup center where he can average like 
instead of 14 minutes a game, play 23 minutes a game. And, and even that might be enough for him to sneak into like back end top 130, top 150 value. Well, it, it did sort of seem like they targeted him. Uh, like obviously they weren't targeting Chandler Hutchinson in that trade. So I, it, it seems like at least some people in that organization like him and, and wanted to get him in there. So mm-hmm. um, another guy where, yeah, you, you want to track sort of what the depth chart looks like before your drafts. But uh, that's that's a really good call for, for people that are looking for some cheap blocks um, towards the end of a draft. Yeah, feels like a little bit of cherry picking, just kind of some recency bias. But, you know, the numbers have stuck out. Who else is on your list? All right, I am going to go. We won't do 15 minutes on him uh, like you were afraid of when we were prepping for this, but uh, I'm going to go with a guy whose basketball reference nickname is Stat Stuffer. Okay. Uh, I'm sure he gets that all the time. What's up, Stat Stuffer? Uh, Yeah. But Terrence Mann of the LA Clippers, typically, like what I was mostly looking for in this exercise, are guys on bad teams because it's really hard for sort of a an unknown or a, an unproven guy to sort of emerge and be fantasy relevant on these really good teams because there's just, there's no shots to go around. But Terrence Mann is, has really, uh, and I mean, you know, I was high on him back uh, in the draft and everything, and he's kind of come along even quicker than I expected, uh, especially with the, the three point shooting up to 41% this year. I, didn't really think it would ever get to that point. And the free throw shooting is is up over 80% as well, which is just really impressive. And he's obviously put a ton of work in. Uh, and he's he's got that sort of weird uh, ability to just get a ton of rebounds at the guard position. I mean, he's kind yeah. of built like a three, even though he, he sort of plays sort of a, a combo guard style and Right. I mean, who who knows how many minutes are going to be there for him next year? Like, it could just be that they 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 bring the whole band back and and guys stay healthy for the most part, and he's just more of like a seventh man or an eighth man or something like that. But uh, I just I love the the potential. I mean, you just look at his year over year improvements. He's clearly just someone who who's ascending, and there's there's a lot to like there for fantasy. I mean, he, he could be a, a steal-a-game guy who, who shoots for really efficient percentages and, and gets you way more rebounds than you're typically getting for, for a guy who's eligible at shooting guard or wherever he's going to be eligible next year. So uh, just just a guy that I would like to sort of have uh, towards the back of my bench. And then if playing time opens up, you really, you really hit the jackpot. So for one, when I was typing in Terrence Mann to find his basketball reference page, I accidentally clicked on Manny Harris's page. So I'm just going to need a couple <laughs> seconds to collect myself. But uh, no, I mean, this is just typical stat stuffer. I mean, I, I think this is what people would have expected this year from from stat stuffer. In 20 games in which stat stuffer played at least 25 minutes this year, he's at 12.6 rebounds, almost three and a half assists, just under a steal and shooting line of 51, 45, 80. And, you know, the three-point volume could come up. He's only taken about two threes a game uh, in those. I mean, it kind of goes in sprees with him. Like, he'll have games where he'll take three or four. He'll have games where he won't take any. Um, I think as that that volume is inherently going to rise. Like, if you're just if you're going to play in the NBA, in the current NBA, you, you're going to need to be able to, to launch more of those. I don't know that if he—I assume he's going to stick with the Clippers next year. I don't think that is going to be inherently good for his value just because— they're probably like by default, probably going to be healthier next year. But at the same time, I think it's super encouraging that 
they're paying Luke Kennard $64 million and they're paying stat stuff for like 15 bucks. And he basically took over Luke Kennard's role like three weeks into the season. And I, I don't think he's going to give it back. Well, and also, I mean, he is one of the very few, um, I mean, he is, he's still under team control next year, right? Uh, he should be. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I would think I, they would have I mean, a team option. Yeah. He he's the only like he's basically the the most tradable asset they have right now. Uh, I mean, yeah. Ivica Zubac, I guess, uh, could fit that bill as well. But if the like, let's, I don't think the Clippers are going to win the title. I think they'll probably win a couple rounds of the playoffs. But I mean, assuming they don't win the title this year, they're probably going to do something to shake it up because they already fired the coach. And like, I just I can't imagine them just running it back again. Like Steve Ballmer, I, it doesn't strike me as the type of guy who would just run it back um if you you fail to to get the job done so if they want to shake it up somehow and and bring in another big piece like Terrence Mann is is one of the more tradable assets they have so I mean the best case scenario is that he just gets traded to a a bad team and gets a ton of minutes no exactly I I would love to see him wind up in Washington as like the Brad Beal replacement you know I, I I think like you started it off by saying it's really hard for guys in his position especially when they have so many guys with, with great draft pedigrees or, you know, expensive contracts that inherently tend to give you a a leg up when it comes to earning a rotation spot. Like he has nothing there. The Clippers have very little investment in Terrence Mann and he's still been able to earn all these minutes on a really good team, which, which I think bodes really well for his future. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of give you a, a choose your adventure here. I have three Memphis Grizzlies guards on my (laughs) list. I couldn't, I couldn't decide which of the three I, you, nothing would surprise me. Like they could finish in any order, like the next five years in fantasy, and none of it would surprise me. Grayson Allen, DeAnthony Melton, Desmond Bain. They've all kind of rotated this season. Like each of them will be really valuable for two weeks, and then the other will take over, or, or there'll be an injury. Grayson Allen missed a bunch of time with a concussion. Now he's kind of the main guy. Do, do you like any of those three better than the rest? Oh man. Um... You know, I was looking at them, too, and I didn't pick any because I just felt like they might cannibalize on each other's playing time. And, like, I think I like Desmond Bain the best. Uh, I think I like Grayson Allen the least. And I think they might like DeAnthony Melton the best. So... I, man, I, I just want to see, I guess I want to see what that depth chart looks like after this off season. They might, I mean, they have just so much depth. It's really kind of frustrating from a fantasy standpoint. Cause I, I just kind of expect all those guys to average around like 25 minutes per game next year. Um, but I, I do like all three of them to some extent. Yeah. Melton is actually the highest ranked out of all those guys in, in terms of per game fantasy value this year and that's mostly just because he racks up steals at a really high rate he's at like 1.3 steals a game despite only playing 20 minutes I mean I, I think Grayson Allen's probably played the best he started the most games um but but Desmond Bain looked really good the first 20-25 games of the season especially this has been a really frustrating roster all year for sure and yeah if, if they just kind of run it back next year and it just ride the hot hand at two guard I, that's not really ideal for any of these guys I, as of right now, like I would not recommend targeting any of those three in particular. I mean, we'll see. I'd, maybe they shake things up, but you know, despite having John Moran and, and Jaron Jackson, like they, especially this past year, like there didn't seem to be a lot of initiative to like let's try to like kick this thing into high gear. You know, now that we have 
these two young players that we really like. Like they've made virtually no roster changes. Yeah, I mean, it would be it, it's tempting to just say like they need to do some sort of consolidation trade, but I don't know if they are ready to kind of make that sort of big splashy. Now we're trying to win a playoff series type of move. Um, but I mean, if they if they did something like Melton and Bain and Xavier Tillman and like a future first, you would have to imagine that would get them in in the room on on almost any available uh, big name player. So I mean that that would be a great outcome as well. But I just I kind of get the sense that they are just really proud of how well they draft and develop, and they're just happy to have all this depth at, at really affordable yeah. contracts. Yeah. It feels like they're having almost the exact same season as last year. Like the, it, they were kind of hanging out in this like eight, nine range all of last season. And I think they're going to be kind of right in the play in range once again. Um, okay. Back to you. All right. So I'm going to go to the Houston Rockets. Um, obviously I think Kevin Porter is, is way too obvious and, and someone who will be extremely trendy in drafts next year. But I think there's just a ton of fantasy production to be had on this roster, given their playing style. And one guy who was just really uh, on a run before he got hurt is Sterling Brown. Um, just had, you know, once he started playing like 25 to 30 minutes a game, the, the production was was really impressive. And you're you're definitely getting three pointers. Pretty much any player you take on this team, you're just going to get a ton of threes. Uh, he shoots them at as good a clip as as any player on that roster, and he also shoots above eighty percent from the line. Um, it's kind of surprising, just given how many threes he's taken. But uh, around forty five percent from the field, he'll get you a steal. If he's if he's getting like 30 minutes a game, he'll probably get you a steal a game. He, he's a good rebounder for his position. I just I really like the amount of uh, fantasy juice there is to kind of squeeze out of that Rockets roster, just given their playing style and uh, given the lack of established players there. Yeah, I think that roster is going to look probably pretty similar next year, where you know you you have a couple guys you feel really good about, and then just a, a cast of guys that you're plugging and playing and just hoping that you hit on a few of these these young players as they rebuild. I, the rebounds are important with Brown. He has four double-digit rebound games uh, as a starter. So that's I think that's kind of where you're getting some of that sneaky value outside of just points and threes. I, I feel like he could do a little more. Like, he's a good defender. It, it doesn't, doesn't really translate to steals. You know, he's in his... In his uh, you know, 18 games in which he's played the most minutes this year. He's only at 0.7 steals per game. So I, I feel like there's room for improvement there, but that's a really good call. And I'll, I'll just sneak in a plug for Jay Sean Tate, who I had on my list. He's kind of in that Rob Williams zone too, where, you know, it was pretty clear like three weeks into the season that he was going to be relevant. So he's not exactly sneaking up on anybody, but mm-hmm. uh, also a guy who probably was like 0% drafted going into this year. Yeah, uh, he, Jay Sean Tate's on the short list of guys who have, been the biggest pleasant surprises for me this season pleasant surprise and consistent you know there's been like these Moses Browns who are really good for like three weeks and then everything just kind of falls apart like he has not missed a game this year and I think he kind of kind of rose to semi-prominence in like late January and hasn't really fallen off since then at all so I think we hit on most of our primary guys that we really wanted to dig in on but uh, let's empty out the clip here who else is on your list that you want to hit on quickly so this is probably the oldest guy that either of us will mention. Uh, 
I'm going to go with Doug McDermott, and I'll just make, keep it really quick. Uh, yeah, I have nothing shooting, to say about this. Shooting a career high 51% from the field, which is obviously awesome, and he's obviously awesome from the line. He's going to give you threes. Um, he's not going to give you a ton else, but, I mean, the, the efficiency just by itself uh, adds value. Um, it'll be interesting to see how many minutes are available to him next year, though. And then uh, two guys in Orlando, Cole Anthony and Chuma Okiki, uh, they're obviously entering a what'll be probably a pretty uh, painful rebuild, but I think Cole Anthony, you know, the field goal percentage is is not going to be great, but everything else should be really solid, and I think he fits pretty well next to Markel Fultz, Chumo Kiki. Um, yeah. He's had he's had some ups and downs, but uh, I just he's on my list. Yeah, I think the minutes are just going to be there for him to to yeah. be pretty pretty solid. Um. You know, the, the Oklahoma City Thunder, it's it's frustrating because they even like they're they're trying to tank so hard that they're they're like coming up with reasons for Lou Dort not to play and stuff like that. Uh, but and and like they, they kind of have these things where they'll have like one rotation for three weeks and then kind of completely flip it. And uh, so it's tough to kind of get consistent play. But uh, two guys who at times I think you can extract value from are Ty Jerome and Kenrick Williams. Um, really surprised by how well both those guys are shooting it from three. And then uh, the deepest cut that I've got is Chemezi Metu with the Ooh. Kings. Ooh. Uh, wow, good for you. We'll, we'll see what Rashawn Holmes does in terms of whether he's back or not, but they're going to have a pretty gaping hole. Uh, at center if, if Holmes departs and they might even have minutes for uh, Metu even if they bring Holmes back so um, just just a guy to keep in mind for for blocks and steals yeah I like that call a lot he's he's been one of those guys that even if you look he, you know he'll only play like 12 or 13 minutes but rack up a ton of stats I had Kendrick Williams on my list as well I like Oklahoma City is probably as good of a situation as he'll be in because like he's not enough of a priority to be rested and like you know he'll like start whenever Dort's resting but when they have like a full rotation then he'll drop down to like 18 20 minutes so I just I don't know where he would go and see more minutes but yeah the, the efficiency's been really impressive he can shoot the hell out of the ball um so I, I like that call here's who I had left on my list and a couple of these guys are, are kind of borderline and I'll start with those and that's Josh Hart and Nick Claxton Claxton I, I think is kind of in that that same range as Jay Sean Tate, maybe maybe creeping toward Robert Williams territory, um, where he he showed enough, you know, when he finally got an opportunity that I think a lot of people, especially being on a high profile team, uh, a lot of people kind of jumped on him. The question is, you know, will the minutes be there? Uh, you know, eventually, hopefully DeAndre Jordan is out of the picture long term and, and he can kind of be that guy. And then Josh Hart, I mean, I, I feel like even last season, I always found myself like if I was just in need of some random forward for a week, like he's always the guy I would go to. It's like him and Monte Morris were like my two, like just plug and plays because like he might go 0 for seven from three, but you know, he's going to get you like eight to 11 rebounds every single night. And he was playing really, really well uh, for new Orleans before he got hurt and, and his season might be over now. But I, I think he's a guy that's kind of like, usually not going to get drafted is always going to be an early season waiver pickup, but if the minutes are there, like I, I think he is actually worth the draft pick going into next year, just because of that rebounding, like out of position rebounding upside. Yeah. I'll be interested to see where he ends up. Um, I, you know, I think they're probably going to want to bring him back, but I think so. Yeah. I, I think every team in the league would like to have Josh Hart. So 
just you know something to keep an eye on uh, with restricted free agency. The last two guys on my list, they're both uh, both three name uh, hyphenated last name guys: Nikhil Alexander Walker and Taylor Horton Tucker. Yeah, I I I was hoping you would you would go to uh, at least one of those guys. Um, tell tell me a little bit. I mean, you you watch more Lakers than I do. Um, I sure do. A like, do you see, what do you see his sort of ceiling being? And B, I wonder if they might get sort of squeezed on him. Um, because we'll like it's if somebody like I could see a rebuilding team putting an offer sheet on him. Yep. And the Lakers might not be able to match it. I I have to take a closer look. I, I know this was a point of kind of a news point like early in the year when he had those he had like a crazy run in the preseason and I want to say Bobby Marks like put out a piece on like the Lakers can do something I think to like basically guarantee that they bring him back but it doesn't guarantee that you bring him back at the number that you want um so yeah I I think it would essentially be like a Tyler Johnson Nets situation back in the day right where like some team just kind of throws a crazy offer and it's like yeah we have the room we'll take him if it doesn't work out not that big of a deal for us but if you want to keep him it's going to really constrain you salary wise Right, exactly. Yeah, and so I, I think there's a good chance that happens. I, I would say overall, considering the injuries and considering how much time LeBron has missed, especially, I, it's been a little disappointing. Uh, like as, he was so good in the preseason. Like he had some like games where he looked like a legitimate like stud, and he's he's had a couple of those in the regular season. But I, I think he's played a lot more than people thought just because of the injuries, and it, it hasn't been all that impressive. Like his his bad games are really bad. Um, but when he, when he's on as a scorer, like I I really think. I, I wouldn't go with, like, I know some people think he could be like an all-star down the road. I, I don't know if I'd go that far, but no. I think he, I think he could be like one of the better six men in the league. Well, I was going to say like, could he be a, a solid starter on a, uh, on a, yeah. on like a 500? Could he start for like a 500 sure. team? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, he's not, he's not going to be the primary ball handler on that team, but I, I think he's really good. And he's he definitely passes the eye test more than the box score test, if that makes sense. Like his when he's on, like the way he finishes, like when you realize that this guy was picked like 45th or whatever in the draft, like he he just looks like a player who is far more advanced and has like high end NBA finishing moves that you don't often see from guys who go in that range in the draft. Do you have any thoughts on on Alexander Walker? Uh, You know, the the playing time. um what are they going to do with Eric Bledsoe? Like, I've even heard people <laughs> float the idea of stretching Eric Bledsoe. Um, so, so like, you know, if if they bring Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball back uh, and Josh Hart back, I just don't know if the playing time is going to be there. But if if he's if he can just get like twenty four to twenty eight minutes a game, like I think he will have some value in deeper leagues. Yeah, I mean, for for that one, it's pretty much all dependent on Lonzo, right? I mean, I, I guess you you could, in theory, play them together, but they're on this very strict timeline with Zion, which mm-hmm. I, I think became stricter this past week with those with those next <laughs> it, comments. Which was, it, it keeps getting stricter and stricter. Yeah, right. So you don't you don't exactly have yeah. You know, this year has been somewhat of a disaster. Uh, obviously, it's been great for Zion, but for the team overall, it, it has not gone as planned. I don't really think you can afford a third straight year of this. And, you know, Alexander Walker has some upside, but if you're going into next season with him and Lonzo Ball as your starting backcourt, like that, that's pretty risky. Also, like at some point they just need guys that can defend. And right. like 
that's not his forte. And like no. they are, I, you know, Sam Van Gundy's supposed to be a kind of a defensive coach, and they they have some guys on that team with solid reputations defensively, and yet they are just terrible defensively. So it's yep. just like something's got to give there. Yeah, there's been I, I know there was like a, a Brandon Ingram uh, missed high five with Stan Van <laughs> this past week that, that got some attention. Like I, I wouldn't really bank on Stan Van Gundy being the long term Pelicans coach right now. Yeah, that that's kind of um, it's kind of feeling a little bit like when Tibbs went to the Timberwolves and yep. it was sort of like, oh, man, like this great young core. Like what a what a sweet job for him like to get. Yep. And then it's like, oh, actually, none of the players uh, want to be told to play defense by this guy. So yep. they, they just want him out. <laughs> yep, exactly. That's actually a great cop. All right, man. I think that pretty much brings us through. Uh, I I think if we went any deeper on this, we would we would tune out uh, whatever audience is is you know stuck <laughs> on the line to listen to Nikhil Alexander Walker breakdowns. Yeah, this was fun though. Yeah, for sure. Great idea by you. Uh, Alex will be back with Ken and Shannon on Friday. I'll be back with Alex on Tuesday, and we'll work something out for next week as well. <laughs>